I didn't think it could get any better. <laughs> you don't like my music? I like your music. Aww. That's just not the kind of music I thought would I... be appropriate for the intro to the Soybean Ava podcast. You can pick it out next time. No, it's all right. You're good. 27th of May, 2015. This is episode number three. Yeah. And I'm Aaron. I'm Matt O'Neill. And uh, today we have a special guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Special guest. Hi, I'm Mike. That's Mike Dunbar, graduate student, Department of Entomology. He's going to come on a little bit later to talk about some work he's been doing with army worms. But before that, Attack of the Slugs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've gotten a few email questions, uh, phone calls asking about slug management. And basically the, the, the field setup is always the same. It's a high residue or no-till fields where there's just a lot of moisture and slugs really like high residue, high moisture. And we talked about this last week, the, the conditions this spring, a lot of rain, uh, probably ideal for this oddball pest. Yeah. yeah. So uh, where can they go for information? Um, they, they can go to ICM News, and I put out an article in 2013, but basically the information is the same. Um, you'd want to try and minimize the residue, and, but that doesn't always mesh well if you're trying to have a no-till farming practice for erosion, soil erosion purposes. Yeah. So it's actually, it's really hard to manage slugs. Are there slugicides? There are slugicides, except they're not very effective and they're really expensive. So <laughs> it depends on how bad your slug problem that's is. That's an awesome combination. Yeah. So you can wait until things dry out and replant is an option if you have significant stand loss. Oh. Yeah. Anything more about slugs? No, I think, I think I'm done with the buzz kill. Yeah. Hey, buzz! <laughs> Here's a buzz. We're coming up on June, and June 20th is Pollinator Fest at Ryman Gardens. So... Um, Several of us will be there, several of us being faculty, staff from Iowa State University, talking about all things pollinator, heavy focus on honeybees, the Iowa, no, the national honeybee queen is going to be there. Yeah, it's a full day of hands-on activities, some classes, you should come check it out. Yeah, there'll be two events that need registration ahead of time, that's a planting a pollinator garden in a pot and making your own stem nests for um, stem nesting bees. But other than that, everything else is um, op- doesn't require any registration. You know, you, I think you have to pay an uh, entrance fee to the gardens, but everything else is free. And if you go to the Ryman Gardens website, there's a coupon, a Groupon. It's a Groupon. Like a $2 off Group- coupon. You say that like... It's what? small. No, it's $2, $2 off. It's $2 off. If you bring a family, that's a lot. $2. All right. Should we bring in our special guest? Yes. Let's hey, talk about it. two things before we go further with our special... Well, one thing, really. Mm-hmm. This is a special time for us because um, not only have we confirmed that we have a listener, Dominic Reisig at yeah. North Carolina State University. Yeah. Turns out he actually listens to the podcast. Yeah. And we fixed our problem. I can now hook up two microphones on one computer. Two mics! Two mics. And today we're using it with our special guest, Mike Dunbar. Yes. Yay. That's so a lot mics of mics. on the second mic. Yeah. So hopefully this is working. So uh, Mike uh, is a, a graduate student, PhD candidate in the Department of Entomology. Got a master's here in entomology as well, working with Dr. Eric. Yeah, you did. Oh, it wasn't entomology. It's ecology and evolutionary biology. Yeah, but it was... Yeah. With bugs. <laughs> with insects. With insects. 
And uh, he's originally from Maryland, and he's wrapping up his PhD, and part of his PhD involves uh, this. We have written down army worms, but it's more than just army worms, right? Oh yeah. Early season, um, kind of malt pests and corn, so it's basically army worm and, and black cut worm. Although over this is the second year of sampling, the only thing I've really found is true army worm. And recently you found some true army worms, right? A lot of true army worms. So tell us what you found. So I, I look at fields, uh, cornfields that have been planted into rye and those that have not been planted into rye, specifically looking for those early season uh, moth pests. And they're both kind of sporadic pests, the cutworm and the army worm. And in one of the fields that we scouted last week, we found severe injury or a lot of... A lot of um, defoliation due to armyworm in a field that, that had rye. So are both of these pests that you're looking for and the one you found, they are migratory insects? Yes. Is that right? So they don't necessarily overwinter in Iowa? They do not. They come up very rapidly from the south, the Gulf states. In the early spring? Pretty much, yep, April to May they become active. So the insects, so the, the caterpillars that you found feeding, um, they had, what, they probably arrived in March? No, a little, probably... A I'm little, sorry, the mothers. The, 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 the mothers probably arrived in, in April, April and May. Late, be a, late, be a whole month that they're going to start to shoot up. Okay, and then laid eggs in the cover crop? Yes, they're, so particularly armyworm, they're attracted to fields that are no-till or fields that are you know going back to say corn or soybean that had sod in them, anything with the grass, and also small grain, small grain cover crops as well. And then, uh, so those eggs hatched, and when the rye cover crop wasn't there because the what the farmer had sprayed a yep. herbicide, yes, they started feeding on the They'll corn move from the destroyed, there's the destroyed, burned down rye to the the primary crop corn. Oh. so Mike, would you say that? Any area like CRP that's transitioning to corn would also be something that would be attractive, all that grassy, weedy stuff? Any, I think there's anything, any kind of cover, okay. generally green and especially grassy small grains, okay. are going to be attractive to, attractive to female armyworm when they're looking for places to lay their eggs. So the, so the field that you saw, was the, was the feeding, was it clustered together or was it just spread out throughout the entire field? So essentially what had happened, uh, the farmer had sprayed an herbicide almost a month before they planned to plant corn, but it didn't really take uh, uniformly over the fields. There was a lot of grow back of rye, and I'm, I'm guessing during the month before planting, a lot of the, the female armyworm coming in just laid their eggs incredibly, an incredible amounts in there, and so they hatched and started feeding, and they, the farmer didn't get in to respray uh, for the rye until three days before planting. So there was probably a lot of armyworm developing on that rye, and then they moved to corn. And so we saw severe damage, almost complete. Um, the, the corn at this stage was only about VE, not even V1, um, eaten all the way or consumed all the way to the ground. And then the armyworm, and those were only in patches where the rye were, uh, where it wasn't burned down. But those armyworm larvae were, in fact, marching out of those rye patches into the patches where the rye was destroyed. So for... Farmers who are using a cover crop, mm -hmm. and they had good protection. It sounds like this guy um, had the herbicide worked a month out. This wouldn't have been an issue. No. Right? So for farmers who are doing this, uh, this being a cover crop, if they get good uh, activity from their herbicide, 
this shouldn't happen. This being a army worm or outbreak. No, it, it shouldn't have happened. So this was, yeah, okay. So this is kind of a, a unfortunate situation, right? I mean, not something that's going to uh, necessarily always happen everywhere no. a cover crop is used. No. Yeah, but the reality is, yeah, sometimes for whatever reason, herbicide didn't do what it's supposed to do, no. either because, what, a nozzle got covered, or in this case, was it the... I think he, the, the farmer claims that the herbicide was mixed in a way that it was almost too potent, and so it burned down the top very rapidly, but um, very quickly, but the roots somehow remained alive, mm. and so there was a grow back there. Mm. I, I can't oh. speak to... Mm-hmm. That's bad news. Mm. Yeah. It was unfortunate. So how, how big were the larvae that you saw? Were they little? Larvae were actually very, very small. Oh, wow. Very small. Less than, less than a half inch. Why is that? Okay. Why are you focusing Well, on just that? because they, if, they're, if they're small, they still have a lot of food to consume in order to get yes. to a pupal uh. stage. And so if you had really big caterpillars, you could say, well, maybe their feeding is almost done. But if most of them are small, that's a concern. Because, it, like you said, they'll just keep moving to new corn plants to eat. So you guys just published an article on this in the ICM newsletter, and that has photographs and Correct. some measurements and all. Yeah, with the help of another, he's a postdoc, Adam Varenhorst, uh, went out with Mike, and they took some nice photographs so you could see some of the feeding injury, some of the stand loss, and just recommendations that um, we would make for either right now or for future if you're using a cover crop, something to consider. Any other kind of big points that we should be aware of with cover crops and these migrating I, leps? I think in general with these leps, it's important if you're if a farmer is going to go in and scout the field to move <laughs> further in than the edge because the edge of a field is typically bordered by something that's green and grassy. So what I find in fields, regardless if they have cover crop or not, um, there's always some kind of you know larval feeding around the edge of a field because the you know female cutworm or true army worm have moved in and laid their eggs around the, the green border. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as injury or potential injury within the field, you know, it, it, it just really mm-hmm. depends on if there's cover, if there was tillage, or, you know, if there was a cover. Crop. Yeah, and so uh, another thing to maybe think about is even if they're using a BT corn or a seed treatment, there may not be a guarantee that those products, those technologies are going to protect against these types of insects, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, I think if you look at the the label, they say they don't really say anything about true armyworm. They talk about fall armyworm and other caterpillars okay. for suppression, but um, not. And that's for, for BT. Yeah. BT. Yeah. Yeah. And for seed treatments, it's not clear to me that the product is brought up, you know, mm. systemically through Above the ground. plant that early to provide sufficient protection. So. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, one, one more question. Do you ever see any stock borers move into your fields that have a rye cover crop? So I find common stock borer yeah. in every field, regardless of, of um, having a cover crop or not, but they're okay. only on the edges. Okay. So I try to sample starting at the edge of the field, you know, right at the border, and then I move in 20 meters, 20 rows, and then another 20 rows, another 20 rows. Okay. And what I find is if there's no cover crop, I typically only find uh, corn plants being fed upon or larvae at the border, maybe 20 rows in, maybe. And if there's a cover crop, I typically find them kind of more commonly throughout. Okay. 
That's that's good to know. There's uh, accumulating degree days in southern Iowa right now, where stock borers are beginning to move to corn. So um, also just something yes. to look out for. And I found I think I found three or four last week as okay. well. Okay. Okay. Any other kind of big picture uh, issues for early season pests that you're seeing in With corn? With both of these, both of these, the black cutworm and the true army worm, they have multiple generations a year, but it's really the first that that corn is susceptible to. And for they think black cutworm, generally when corn reaches the development stage of V5, they're generally too large, and also the the larvae are starting to pupate, move away. So they're pretty they're thought to be safe after about V5. And for army worm, it's thought to be around V8. That okay. The corn plants are large enough, and the the first generation that are in the state are starting to pupate. So we got a, adults. we got a ways to go yet. Oh but, yeah. But a lot of those details can be found in that article and yes. then online yeah. yep. through the. ICM yeah. and ISU websites. Yeah, that was but helpful, Mike. Thanks. Thank you very much. Hey, our first, our, our first guest of 2015. Yes. And our first <laughs> time using two mics. <laughs> I hope it sounds okay. Should, are we done? I think we're done. All right. Okay. See ya. Thanks. Bye. Bye.